Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? I'm starting a new kind of Tech Stuff episode today, sort of within the Tech Stuff tidbits overall umbrella, and I'm doing a quick profile on someone who made significant contributions to tech and science in general. And I thought I would start off with Conte Alessandro Giuseppe Antonio Anastasio Volta, or Alessandro Volta for short. He was an incredibly important physicist and technologist in a time when science was really just starting to take shape. He was born in 1745, which puts his uh, maturation within the Age of Enlightenment. So this was a period that followed the Renaissance, and it saw society start to turn away from long traditions and embrace more experimentation and reason. Now, I don't mean to say it was all rationality and egalitarianism, of course, because there was a 
a lot of horrible stuff that happened in the 17th and 18th and into the early 19th centuries. But this would be when the modern world would start to take shape. And we moved away from the, the world of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and into the modern era. Volta was born in 1745, as I mentioned, and his parents were noble, but not, not terribly wealthy, but aristocrats, certainly. Uh, there was a Filippo Volta, his father, uh, who died when Alessandro was a teenager. And then his mother, Donna Maria Maddalena Volta. They had four children, including Alessandro Volta. And his parents, his family in general, had some high hopes for Alessandro once he grew up a little bit. They, they kind of wanted him to become a lawyer. Now, as a child, Alessandro was sent to live in the household of Ludovico Monti. And Monti was a barometer maker. So he made tools that could measure atmospheric pressure. Now, according to biographies, Volta's family worried that Alessandro might have some problems because he didn't start speaking the, at around the same time that most children do. He was nonverbal uh, fairly late into his childhood. In fact, according to one biography I read, uh, he only became you know, talkative when he hit the age of seven or so, though it's entirely possible he just didn't have much to say. Around the same time that he started talking, he also developed a keen interest in natural sciences, really just a insatiable curiosity about the world and how it worked. So he was really eager to observe and to experiment. He attended private school, and at age 13, he was then enrolled in the School of the Jesuit Fathers in Como, Italy. His own father actually passed away while Volta was attending this school. So then his uncle, also named Alessandro, would send him to the Royal Seminary in Como. Now, at this stage, this was where his family was really hoping he would study law. Meanwhile, his lead instructor at the Royal Seminary was really hoping to snag Alessandro for the priesthood. But at this point, Volta was determined to become a scientist, and he dove into studies revolving around chemistry and physics and was particularly fascinated with the study of electricity and ele electrostatic charges. Before he was 20, he was designing electrostatic experiments. Uh, he was helped by the fact that a childhood friend of his had constructed a laboratory and gave Alessandro access to it. So Volta must have had a pretty high opinion of himself around this time, because at the ripe old age of 24, he wrote his first memoir. Like, come on, you don't have enough memories to fill a memoir when you're 24. Anyway. Volta was in contact with other scientists of the era. He was always eager to share what he had learned and find out what other people had learned. So it was a really collaborative environment in the scientific field of the time. In 1774, he became professor of physics at the Royal School of Como. And the following year, in 1775, he took a little invention created by Johann Karl Wick, or Wick, a decade earlier, and it was called the Electrophorus, and Volta made some improvements to this basic invention. And as the name of the device implies, 
it has something to do with electricity, specifically electrostatic charge. Okay, let's talk about electrostatic charge and what this device actually did, because we have to remember that in the early days of experimentation with electricity, one of the few ways that you could actually generate any kind of electrical output at all was through electrostatic charges. So the way that this device worked went like this. You would start off with a plate made out of some sort of material like wax or pitch or resin, and this would serve as a dielectric plate. So a dielectric medium is an electrical insulator. So it doesn't allow electricity to flow through it. It doesn't have enough free electrons to allow for that. However, with a dielectric medium, if you expose that kind of material to an electric field, the field will cause the medium to become polarized. That is, one side of the material will have one type of electric charge to it, and the opposite side of that material will have the opposite electric charge to it. You can think of it as the positive charge migrates to one side, the negative charge migrates to the other side, but collectively, if you look at the piece as a whole, it has an electrically neutral charge. It's just that the individual charges have migrated to the edges, as opposed to just being kind of all mixed in together. So with an electrophorus, you take this dielectric plate of resin or wax or whatever, and then you rub it with cloth or fur, and that's what starts to cause this polarization within the plate itself. Then, on top of this dielectric plate, you put a metal plate. Uh, so it's like you're putting a metal disc on top of a, a larger cake of this wax material or whatever that you've already rubbed down with cloth or fur. Attached to the top side of the metal plate is a handle that's insulated, so you don't accidentally discharge the electrophorus prematurely. And when you put the metal plate on this dielectric base, you also polarize the metal plate, which is unusual. Like, typically you would have the charge move to the metal plate. But because at a microscopic level, the plate is not making enough contact with the dielectric plate underneath, Instead, you have this polarization. So again, the metal plate has charges separate to either side of the metal plate. So let's say that the, uh, the, the top side of the dielectric plate is of a negative charge. Well, that would mean that the positive charge within the metal plate would migrate down to it because opposites attract. And it would mean that the negative charge of the electric, uh, the uh, metal plate rather, would migrate to the top side, the side where the handle is. And so you've got this plate now that has the charges that are polarized, but the plate itself still, as a system, has a net neutral charge. Then you ground the plate. You allow the charge that has uh, accumulated on the top of the plate to discharge. You probably do this just by touching it. You become the ground. Like you might hold the handle in one hand and touch the surface of the plate in the other. And this allows the, the charge that has accumulated on the top of the plate to discharge. However, now what this means is that the metal plate actually does have a net charge, a net positive charge in this case, because 
you allowed that negative charge that had accumulated on the top surface to go away, but the net positive charge that's on the other surface is still there. So if you lift it with that insulated handle, so now the charge has nowhere to go, what you have is a metal plate that has a net positive charge on it, which you can then use for your various electrostatic experiments. So really this was a way of holding an electrostatic charge so that you could do something else with it. And it was a very important tool for those early experiments. Pretty cool. And it makes sense that Volta did this, right? Because he was interested in electrostatic experiments. And so he had an incentive to make the instruments he relied upon easier to use and more reliable. All that being said, uh, I am sure there are documents out there that explain exactly what improvements Volta introduced to this basic device, but I didn't find them when I was looking in my research. But knowing that Volta had this keen interest in electricity and electrostatic charges makes sense that he would try to improve those devices. I just don't know what it was he did that made it better. I do know that it had already existed. So while some people have credited Volta with creating the electrophorus, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that device pre-existed Volta's work in the field. Okay, I've got a lot more to say about Volta. Before we get to any of that, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, 
What kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so around the time that Volta was starting to experiment with uh, electrostatic charges and to improve the electrophorus, he was also interested in bubbles. No, tiny bubbles in the wine. No, wait, I'm sorry, that was someone else. No, he was interested in bubbles that were rising to the surface of Lake Maggiore, in a, uh, specifically in a marsh area around the lake called Isolina Patagora. And uh, the lake is huge. It's partly in Switzerland. It's mostly in Italy. It's on the south side of the Alps mountain range. And Volta was visiting a friend and while wandering around the marsh, saw these bubbles popping up and he wondered what was causing it. So he got some bottles and he was able to capture some of the escaping gas. And in experiments, he learned that the gas was flammable or inflammable because that means the same thing. And it shows that English is a dumb language. The gas had no color, it had no odor, but it could catch fire, and it turned out to be methane. So Volta became the first scientist to isolate methane. And Volta also invented a device to demonstrate how gas can be flammable. And this was a really interesting thing that I bet was really cool to see demonstrated and also more than a little scary. So what he did was he created a, a metal container. So it has a, a, a hole in the top of it, which can be corked, and it has a hole in the side of it, which uh, is insulated by a ring of glass. So the, the metal around the little hole in the side is covered in glass to keep it insulated. What you would do is you would insert a brass rod into the side hole so that the end of the brass rod is close to but not touching the interior wall of this metal canister through the top hole. You would introduce oxygen as well as whatever gas you plan to test like methane. And you would then cork up the container. So now the gas can't escape. The brass rod is in that hole in the side. And then what you do is you would create an electrostatic generator to create an electrostatic charge. You would bring the entire metal canister rod and all over to the electrostatic generator and you would bring the rod into contact with the generator. So the generator then discharges its electrostatic charge into the brass rod because the end of the other end of the brass rod is close to the interior metal wall, but not quite touching it. It would allow a spark 
to generate between the end of the brass rod and the interior of this metal container. That spark would ignite this mixture of gas inside the container. That would create an explosion that would be strong enough to force the cork out of the top of the container. So Volta had created an exploding gas-powered cork gun. The popular name for this device is Volta's Pistol. And you could argue that this early experiment kind of laid the groundwork for the internal combustion engine later on. In 1778, the University of Pavia named Volta the Chair of Experimental Physics. But by 1781, he must have had itchy feet because he started to travel across Europe, learning and teaching and making friends along the way. The University of Pavia wasn't done with him either. It elected him dean for 1785 to 1786, and he would teach there off and on until 1819. One of the friends that Volta made in his many travels and discussions in the scientific field was another scientist by the name of Luigi Galvani. And it was Galvani who discovered while experimenting with muscle tissue that if uh, he put two metal pieces in contact with a skinned frog's leg, it would induce an electric current and the leg would twitch, something that Volta would call the galvanic response. This discovery actually led to a pretty heated professional disagreement between Galvani and his buddy Volta, because Galvani thought that the electricity that was responsible for this movement was within the muscle itself that that was the the source of the electricity, and he called it animal electricity. Volta disagreed. He thought the muscle had really just acted as an electrical conductor between the two metal points of contact, and he called it metallic electricity, especially when Volta was thinking about using different types of metal, not two of the same kind, but two different types of metal that you could create an electric current between the two. Now, this disagreement led Volta to start experimenting with different metals as he tried to determine if, by combining them, you could create an electrical current. By bringing them into contact with one another, you could induce current to flow between them. And by Jove, he did it. Through all of this, there was this really dramatic feud between the proponents of the animal electricity hypothesis and the metallic electricity uh, advocates as well. It got ugly. Like, there were some pretty heated disagreements in the scientific community around this time about which of the two hypotheses was correct. Volta ultimately was able to show that there was no need for animal tissue in order to create a current between two different pieces of metal. He used some cloth or some cardboard that had been soaked in brine and showed that you could still get current to pass through saying, well, you know, there's nothing here that was part of an animal. So your hypothesis that electricity is part and parcel with the concept of living organisms is not necessarily correct. Now, of course, we know that stuff like like muscular movements are made through uh, electrochemical signals in our brains. But that wasn't exactly what Galvani was saying at the time. So. You could argue that both of them were right to different degrees, but what Volta demonstrated was that you didn't need the organic tissue uh, right there in order to conduct electricity. You just needed something that could serve as a conduit. Now, 
we'll take a, a short break from his scientific experimentation to deal with matters of the heart. In 1794, Alessandra Volta married Maria Teresa Alonza Peregrini, and the couple would ultimately have three children together. Now, I wish I could tell you a lot more about Maria, but sadly, the historical records are scarce. Uh, I don't even have a birthday, nor do I have the date when she died. Uh, the only records I could find listed her as wife to Alessandro and mother to Zanino, Flaminio, and Luigi. I will refrain from making further commentary on the matter. Volta continued his experiments with metallic electricity and in 1799 announced that if you were to take a disc of a metal such as silver, and then you cover that disc with a material like cloth soaked in brine, and then you put on top of that cloth soaked in brine another metallic disc, but this time of a different metal like zinc, that collectively this would generate an electric current. And if you attached a wire to it, current would flow from one end of this little stack to the other. In 1800, he would build a full stack of discs alternating between copper and pewter, or maybe silver and zinc, the records aren't clear. And he separated the different metallic discs with cloth or cardboard that had been soaked in brine. And he showed that if you increase the number of discs, if you built the stack taller, you would also increase the electromotive force of the current. And he was the first to describe this as electromotive, sort of the power behind the current, not how much current there was, but how much oomph there was to the current and building a taller stack made more oomph. Uh, ultimately, we would describe this invention as the voltaic pile. And if you connected a wire to the top of the pile, to the bottom of the pile, you would complete a circuit and thus you would get current to flow. And yeah, the more discs you add, the, the more strength this current would have. And this would become the basis of the electric battery, and that would change the world. All right, we'll finish up on our discussion about Volta in just a moment, but first let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. 
and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before the break, I mentioned that the invention of the battery would change the world. And it really did. And it continues to to do so. But at the time, the invention of the battery became an enormous boon to science because scientists no longer had to rely upon either electrostatic generators or a Leyden jar. And I'll describe Leyden jars in a different episode. It gets a little too involved for us to jump in here. But it's kind of like a capacitor. It releases all of its electricity in one go. The The voltaic pile became useful because you could continuously generate current until it had expired and corroded to the point where it no longer would allow current to flow. So that meant that scientists had a way to generate electricity and conduct various experiments with it. And by building larger and larger piles, they could generate electricity with more oomph behind it. And this meant that folks like Anthony Carlyle and William Nicholson could generate enough powerful electricity to discover electrolysis of water. This is when you use an electric charge of sufficient voltage. I'm kind of spoiling the end of this, but we all know where volt comes from, right? Anyway, it's when you use an electric charge of sufficient voltage to break the molecular bonds of water. Which means that when you have, when you've introduced this electric current to water, it causes the water to become hydrogen and oxygen and converts into to gases. So this is one way where you can harvest hydrogen, right? One of the problems we have with hydrogen is that although it is the most common element in the universe, it also bonds with other stuff 
and it's really hard to find hydrogen just by itself. Even though hydrogen's incredibly useful, uh, it means that we have to find ways to break it out of other molecular bonds, like with oxygen. So electrolysis is one way to do that. You pass this, this charge through water and it causes those molecular bonds to break down and you can harvest hydrogen from it that way. So that was a very important early use of voltaic piles back in the early days of electricity. Uh, so this invention also meant that further discoveries would pour in from all parts of the world. And it was really important to physics and to chemistry. We had multiple elements discovered in this period because scientists had access to experiments that could rely upon uh, a reliable source of electricity. So this was a huge boost in scientific knowledge. It's hard to overstate how important it was. Volta would end up becoming highly decorated for his contributions. Uh, he was knighted a couple of times, especially in France. He became a count in Italy. And Napoleon Bonaparte was particularly impressed by Volta's work. He ended up creating an, an honorary award that would reward significant achievements in the field of science, uh, specifically electrical science. He said that if someone made a contribution on the level of Benjamin Franklin or Alessandra Volta, they would be deserving of such an award. So Volta achieved great fame and success. He returned to the University of Pavia, and like I said, he would teach there until 1819. Tragically, his son Flaminio died when he was just 18 years old, and that devastated Alessandra Volta. And so he retired from teaching in 1819 and from public life entirely in 1820. He moved back to Como, where he grew up, and he lived out his final years there. He passed away when he was 82 years old. And then, decades later, in 1881, the scientific community decided that they would name a unit of electromotive force after this great scientist. That's why we call them volts. So voltage is a measure of electromotive force. And I often say, and a lot of people do, it's not just me. In fact, I, I am not, by far, I'm not the first person to say this, but I think of voltage kind of like water pressure in a plumbing system. Like the amount of water in the system, that's the current. But the amount of pressure behind it, that's the voltage, if we were to create an analogy. So Alessandro Volta, incredibly important, really sticking it to his buddy Luigi Galvani. And I thought it would be good to do a quick profile. And I'll probably do more of these. There will be other people who will deserve much longer episodes. Not that Volta doesn't, but, you know, I didn't want to dive into things that would become irrelevant due to the, the fact that we have gone so far from his uh, initial contributions. I just wanted to talk about the really intrinsic ones that are important in tech today. But uh, I'll probably do more of these in the future. That's the plan. Maybe I'll do one of Ben Franklin, although obviously I'll have to focus primarily on his contributions to tech as opposed to everything else he's known for, because that dude was busy in more ways than one, as it turns out. And um, uh, yeah, if you have people that you would like to suggest for me to do a profile on in the future, let me know. Uh, like I said, if, if it's someone who's done tons and tons and tons of stuff and continues to do stuff, because obviously there are a lot of very influential people alive working in tech right now, then I may be doing you know much longer episodes or maybe even multi-parters, depending on the person. 
but I would love to hear your suggestions. You can reach out on Twitter. The handle for the show is techstuffhsw, or you can drop me a line by downloading the iHeartRadio app. It is free to download and to use. You can navigate over to Tech Stuff by putting it in the little search bar. It'll pop right up. You'll see that on the Tech Stuff page, there's a little microphone icon. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to hear, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.